0: Right, so we're live. It's been, it's been a minute, guys, so it's nice to be back, and today we have a guest. Um, we have Gene. I don't know how to say your last name.
1: Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's perfectly phonetic to say all the letters. Monter and There all we the go. Have...
0: Okay. Alright, so Gene, would you like to tell us a little bit about you?
1: Absolutely. Um, So I run a small training company. Um, We train around a trauma relief tool that's commonly called tapping. Um, I originally found my way to tapping um, in my thirties. At that point in my life, I was a full-time performer, entertainer. I was a juggler, did sketch comedy, escape artist, could stand in front of 8,000 people. It was as easy as breathing. Um, I could not answer my own phone. I could not ask for help in a store. I could not tell a bus to stop. And anxieties are things that grow over time. Um, because we're like, because of confirmation bias, like I go into a circumstance and I'm worried it's going to go badly. The only thing I remember are the things that went badly because I was worried about it. So over time, fears slowly grow. And so my social anxiety was something that always existed. But by the time I got into my early 30s, it was crippling me. Um, And my wife was getting smaller, and I was okay with that. But there were two of my really dear friends that were trying to do massive, huge things. And both of them needed help. And I promised to help them, which meant I promised to make phone calls for them. And I did not make those phone calls. And I started sabotaging my friends' dreams. And that was kind of my rock bottom moment to deal with my social anxiety. So I found my way to this wacky thing called tapping. Um, I did the scariest thing I could imagine at that point in my life, which was online dating. Um, I would set up a date with someone where I lived in Baltimore, which was about a 30 minute walk away. And I literally worked the protocol as I walked to the date. And six weeks later, um, my social anxiety was done. And I was kind of like, huh, this is a really interesting thing. Um, At that point, I started a hobby blog. And I mean that seriously, like there are some people who Think they have a business, but they really have a hobby. This was not a business. This was a hobby. I was just answering questions about this tool. And about nine months into running that blog, someone sent me an email saying, Can you please start selling something? Um six months later I got an email from someone saying, Do you do phone sessions? I really like your style. And I'm like, Oh, right. This is a business. Um, so initially, I was a generalist, and I just worked with all of the different issues that tapping works with physical issues, emotional issues, fears, phobias, stuff like that. About six or seven years into that, Um, I started getting much more focused on helping small business owners to eliminate self-sabotage. So my one-on-one clients are primary small business owners. Half the work that we do is, how do you run a business? How do you do pricing? How do you have a sales conversation? How do you create new products? And then once you know what to do, you know how to do it and you have the resources, it doesn't mean you actually do it. You know, that most of us grow up consuming media and in media, salespeople are always thieves and rich people are always bad. And so if I have this belief in the back of my head that says salespeople are sleazy, then I'm never going to sell anything because I don't want to be sleazy. So the work I do with clients is once you are to the point where you're not taking action, we have a whole bunch of tools to figure out what that is and then the tapping is able to change the subconscious mind. Um, In the last four or five years, the business has grown and I'm now training lots and lots of people in the tool set. So we train a lot of folks who are inside of mental health, psychologists, um, doctors, nurses, first responders. And then folks that just want to create some transformation in their own life so in addition to now working with clients i run a pretty large training apparatus and we have students in 19 time zones around the world um it's really pretty amazing the times that we live in that allow us to do stuff like that
0: that's very fascinating um it's funny that you say tapping because my aunt just recommended an app to me it's called tapping solution does that Mm -hmm. have any correlation with your work 100%.
1: one hundred percent. Yeah, that's 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 run by um, Nick, Jessica, and Alex Ortner, three siblings who run the Tapping Solution. Um, and so they, fourteen or fifteen years ago, did a documentary called "Try It on Anything" that then got renamed the Tapping Solution. That was just talking about tapping in the world. And so, the their organization, their friends of mine, they're just up in Connecticut, from where I am. Um, they do a lot of work in kind of bringing it to the mass population. So like an application like this, that which has hundreds of thousands of folks on it. It's just really easy. If you're new to it, you can literally just go I'm worried about this and you hit play and it guides you through what you're doing.
0: Interesting. So, so what's kind of like a breakdown of tapping, I guess? Is it some sort of meditation, a practice of mindfulness?
1: Yeah, so it's actually mechanical. And what I mean by mechanical is there's a physical change in the body. So there is a mechanism in aspirin. Like, it's, like you take an aspirin, I take an aspirin, assuming that we are both biologically typical and don't have an aller, any sort of allergy sensation to aspirin. It does the same thing in your body as it does in my body. There's a mechanic to it. When you are angry, your body produces a very specific set of biochemical reactions, and mine does the exact same thing. And so tapping by stimulating these points, where it came from was um, in the early 80s, they started wanting to do um, studies of acupuncture to see if it was actually useful. And the scientific studies found that not only was acupuncture useful for pain management, it also worked on phobias um, and depression. And so there's a psychologist by the name of Roger Callahan who had read these studies, didn't wanna go to acupuncture school. Um, Because he was in San Diego, his office was the pool house Um, He had a new client who had a water phobia that was so severe she could not shower. And so um, it's a little rough when you are going to see your psychologist and you have to walk by the thing that you are afraid of. It's kind of like if you were afraid of snakes and you had to walk through a snake pit to see your therapist. And so she showed up and she reported that she was feeling really nervous in her stomach. And in Chinese medicine, each of the points in the body are associated with um, a different organ. And Callahan knew the point on the cheek directly below the eye was associated with stomach. And so he just had her started stimulating that. 20 minutes later, she was in the backyard, splashing water on her head. Um, What we've now come to find is, so I'm sure you've sort of the stress hormone cortisol. Basically when the body goes into fight or flight, cortisol runs through the body so that you have energy to run away really quickly and you have extra strength we know that when you stimulate these points by tapping cortisol is actually processed out of your body. Um, like the way that you would know it, you know, that time where you've sat down to take a test or you got up to get a presentation and your brain goes completely blank. Well, that is because your body has gone into fight or flight and the capillaries in your brain have squeezed shut because they're pushing all of the oxygen to your legs so that you can run away from this danger. And that's the reason why when you walk out of the classroom or you sit down after the presentation, you remember everything again. Well, the danger's over, so the, all the oxygen goes rushing back to your brain and you can remember what's going on. It's the reason why we say, Oh, I was so scared I peed my pants. It's because when we're afraid, the body goes, I don't have energy to digest, so I'm just going to flush the system out. And so what tapping does is it processes all of that cortisol out of the system oxygen comes back to the brain so in a circumstance like if you're sitting down to take a test or giving a presentation if you just take your hand and thump it on your collarbone in about seven seconds the oxygen is going to be back in your brain you're going to remember everything and so basically what we're doing is is that the stories that run your life are the stories that are in your subconscious mind because when you like When you're standing in the middle of a street and you're about to be hit by a car, you don't want to think, Ooh, late sixties Mustangs. I love late sixties Mustangs. Like you don't want to do that. You want to get out of the way. And so the subconscious mind sees danger and instantaneously responds and fear always wins. And so basically what we're doing with tapping is we're taking the emotion and basically turning them down. Then because we've now done that, we can go directly into the subconscious mind and we can rewrite the story and we can write a proportionate well-informed story. You know, so as I sit here in my apartment in Brooklyn, if I never left my apartment because I'm so afraid of tigers, there's a tiger eight miles away in the Central Park Zoo, that's disproportionate. If we finish this interview and I walk into my kitchen and I see a mouse and I jump on the table and I scream like a five-year-old, that's misinformed. And so what tapping does is it relaxes us enough that we can then discover what the story is that the subconscious mind is telling. And then we rewrite that story. So now, and it's not that I'm rewriting it to a dangerous place. So I'm now not going into the zoo and climbing into the tiger cage for a little cuddle, but I've made it proportionate or I've made it well informed. And you know, like <clears throat> the number of I like, if you had a nickel for every single time where you said, Oh, I wish I only knew in the moment I would do something different. This is about taking those moments and rewriting them so that as we go forward, we know those things in the moment we're able to have access to them.
0: Very, very interesting. Wow! Yeah, I I must say, yeah, no, I find that really interesting. I I do have a question though. So, how would you compare tapping to like meditating? And like, what do you think like the benefits of tapping? Like, what do you think? Do you think tapping has more benefits than like meditating or like praying? So,
1: actually, they, they work in concert really, really well together. Um, and there's actually a research scientist by the name of Dr. Dawson Church, who has created a protocol that combines the two of them because they do different things. One of the things that we know is the major physical benefits to, to, to meditating. We know that calming the mind allows us to be more present. Oftentimes that's called being in flow, being present to that sort of stuff. And so basically we're doing two things. What the tapping does is tapping takes the stories in your subconscious mind that show up in the moment that are wrong and it turns those down where meditation creates space for us to be more present. So I could be in a circumstance where I'm sitting here and I'm doing my 10 minutes of meditation in the morning and because I'm clear, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the new project that is awesome for my business and I'm ready to go do that project. And then I sit down at my desk and my first thought is, oh my gosh, everybody thinks I do A and if I do B, I'm not gonna be believable. So I have the story that says, people are not gonna see me as credible in this way. So in the meditation, I was able to get clear enough to get inspiration. And the tapping is going to transform the limiting beliefs that I have about taking action and stepping into the world and what I'm doing. And so the two actually work really, really hand in hand for me. Tapping is something that is a multiplier on top of anything else that you do. You know, if I write a to-do list, I'm more likely to be organized for the day. And then if I take the tapping and I tap on any fear I have about on the, any of the tasks on the to-do list, the to-do list now becomes more effective because I actually do the most important stuff. If I'm in a circumstance where I um, am struggling, like, so, with the work that I do, I use stuff from hypnosis and NLP and parts mediation and all of these other tools that we're using to uncover and figure out what's going on. You know, the next time you're in a circumstance where you're feeling nervous, and you don't exactly know what's going on. Just tune into the butterflies in your stomach and go, hey, butterflies, what are you afraid of? And just because you're giving yourself a half a step of disassociation, the subconscious mind's going to go, hey, blah, bitty, blah, bitty, blah, blah, blah. And then we use tapping to relieve or transform that. And so it's something that works in concert. So the, the way I think about it is if you have something in your life that works, if you add tapping to it, you're going to multiply, whatever those effects are, it's a great multiplier for whatever tool is working for you. And then the other thing is, you know, is one better than the other. For me, the only question that matters is how is it working for you? You know, if you are on a diet where you're eating sticks of butter and eating grapefruit and it's making you feel awesome, great, go with God. If that's what works with you, works for you. It's probably not how I'm gonna be eating. And so it's really about not the right or the wrong way. There are things that are, that are scientifically proven as useful, but at the end of the day, we need to find a tool set that works for you as you're engaging with it. So it works amazingly in concert with that.
0: Oh yeah, that's very cool. I just had a quick question too. So would you say for tapping for instance, would you do it like practically like before you go to bed in the morning right when you wake up, sort of like a substitute yeah. for meditation? Or yeah. would you say right when those fears kick in, people can have that tapping to sort of, you know, reprogram reprogram yeah. and calm them down in the present moment? So
1: yep. that's what yeah. I just Yeah. So there are three primary applications for me when I'm tapping. number one is what we would would technically call down regulating your emotions like just calming yourself down in the moment so we feel like feeling overwhelmed feeling scared feeling stressed whatever so on a day that i have a deadline coming up I probably tap for overwhelm between every single task, because for me, what happens is I look at my to-do list and it's like, Oh my gosh, I have all these things to do in the next four and a half hours. I tap, I feel calm. The moment I start the next activity for me, I'm so engaged in the task. I'm not thinking of anything else. The world melts away. I finish the task. I look at the to-do list. And now there's 18 things left on the to-do list. And it's like, Oh, the overwhelm comes back again. So way number one for me is dealing with whatever is coming up in the moment. Way number two is at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day to relax myself and to set myself up. So like you said, at the end of the day, it is a great way to unwind and relax. At the beginning of the day, that example I gave you with my to-do list what is what I do every single morning. I write my to-do list and I imagine each of the tasks and if I have any resistance to it, I tap on those things. And then the third way I do it is I typically set time aside at least once a week oftentimes twice a week it's usually tuesday after tuesday after work and saturday afternoon where i sit down and i work on something really really big so i'm not being responsive in the moment but recognizing oh like uh not a year ago january for whatever reason i was just caught in this cycle of professional jealousy Like I was seeing lots of my friends and peers get opportunities that I wasn't, and it was eating me from the inside out. And it wasn't like there was limited opportunity and it wasn't like, I think I'm way better than them. There's just a little jealousy. And so in a circumstance like that, I set aside 45 minutes to go. okay, this is something that's coming up a lot. Let's do a much deeper dive into that sort of thing to figure out what's going on. So we're trying to solve a problem. So for me, tapping is a tool like a knife is a tool. You know, with a knife, I can cut twine. I can cut sushi precisely. I can do an academic, do take out someone's appendix. Like I can do all of those things with a sharp edge, but it's not the exact same sharp edge. And just because I can cut sushi doesn't mean I should be cutting my own belly open, you know? And so when we're using it, and so even though it can be used in lots of ways, we wanna make sure we're using it safely and appropriately. And so it's not an approach, it's a tool, and start of the day, end of the day making myself feel better in the moment going after a big honking issue. That's hanging around in my subconscious mind. It also works really well with physical issues. It also works really well with substance sensitivities and allergies. And so depending on what we're doing, we're using the exact same tool. We're just doing a slightly different application for a different outcome, much the same way that someone could be stretching to gain flexibility. Someone could be stretching to do rehab and someone could be stretching because their body needs to be limber because they're now about to do a bunch of power So even though the act of stretching my muscles is exactly the same, it's a different application depending on what is in front of me. And that's one of the reasons why I love tapping so much is it's so flexible is that I can give it to someone like this afternoon, um, I'm going to be teaching an intro to tapping class at a yoga studio where it's folks that are interested in physical health. And all we're going to be doing is exactly what you're talking about there, Brett, beginning of the day, end of the day. How do we do that? And that's all we're going to cover in the class to kind of add to what's going on, where I'm going to spend two hours this afternoon with my tapping students, where we're just going to be talking about four ways of using tapping to strengthen relationships. So it's a two hour conversation, where I'm just teaching three small tools, but it's with people who are well engaged, some of them are practitioners. And so we get this huge amount of flexibility in the way that we can apply it.
0: Very, very cool. I think it's,
1: and and yes, it does sound too good to be true. And that is something that I think regularly as well. Like that's one of the things in our media literacy that when something sounds too good to be true, we need to be asking questions. And it really does sound ridiculous a lot of the time.
0: Well, I've never heard anything like it, but it's funny that you mentioned yoga because that was kind of the one thing that I thought united the the physical spirit with the mental. And Mm -hmm. that was a good way of releasing stress hormones. And now, I mean, combining that with the tapping yeah. solutions that, that you have presented. I think that's a really cool thing. Um, I I feel when people are stressed, it's not even just the the mental burden they feel. It's the, the body experience. Everything feels tense. Everybody's very agitated and I mean it feels almost like you've just strained a muscle. So I get my pain in my neck and I get it in my shoulders. Is there I, I feel that's a common place. Is there a Hold on, recommendation yeah. for where to tap? Sorry, breast so camera. So actually, yeah,
1: it's it's actually. It, I'm going to teach you something that's really, really simple. And as you're listening along, you can do this as well. Just take your five fingertips and just make a little ring around the Rosie around your belly button. So you're just pressing it onto your stomach like this. With your five fingertips. And as you're there, just slowly with all five fingertips, just tap up your midline, kind of like you're drawing a line up the middle of yourself. And you're just tapping like you're trying to get someone's attention. And then when you get to the collarbone, just go back and forth. So basically, imagine just drawing a giant T on the front of your body. And then after going back three or four times and you just go right back down the midline. And as you do that, can you just feel your body relaxing?
0: I do, I feel it in my scapula. I feel my scapula, my traps and around my neck being a lot more relaxed. It's really cool. You guys should try it.
1: It it really, again, you're just drawing a giant T. Just imagine you're wearing an old Letterman sweater with a giant T in the front. You're just chasing, tracing that T with your hands. So again, next time you give a presentation, next time you sit down to take a test, and you'll just see in six or seven seconds how much more relaxed your body is.
0: So I meditate every morning and it usually yeah. takes two to three minutes to really get into a meditation. This took me 30 seconds to reach that same peak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. And for practice like meditation, you can see how this sets the table so much better because what you're doing is you're very, very quickly without having to like going through the progressive relaxation, like meditation, I'm, I'm trained in meditation, I'm training hypnosis. And so we know that the thoughts impact the body. But instead of having to think my way to calm, what if I could physically push my way to calm in 15 to 20 seconds like this? Then you've just like, like it's amazing. Like it's odd that we're talking about making meditation more efficient, but in some ways what you can do is you can get to that spot where you're really deeper in so much faster just by adding this at the beginning of it. Again, before you sit down to study, before you're giving a presentation, before you're about to have a hard conversation of some sort, just doing this, you know, the other, the other spot, you know, for me, that collarbone spot that we were hitting on. So just right at your collarbone is the money spot for me by itself. And so you can just like scratch here or fidget with your shirt in such a way that it doesn't even look like you're doing anything. So you could actually be in the middle of a stressful conversation, and you could be using it in that particular moment. The other spot that's, that's, that's really good is the meaty spot in the side of your hand, like if you're gonna break a, break a brick in the martial arts, is a spot. And so oftentimes people will tap on it with their hand, but out of sight, you can do that on the side of your leg, and no one has any sense that you're doing that. And so you can do it in a covert way in public. Um, My father, it's really good for physical stuff. My father is in his late 70s, and he... he still officiates high school sports. And so I taught him how to covertly tap in the middle of a game where no one can tell he's doing it because there's so many points that you can get to on the body that just look like what you would normally doing in the course of the day to just sneak it in there. So you're able to, he's able to take care of an acre of pain in the middle of the game without the kids having any idea that's what's happening and without having to stop the game.
0: That's that's really, really cool. I love my favorite thing about tapping. that I've learned so far is that you can do it anywhere, any place, anytime it's free, obviously, cause it's your body. So it's yeah. not I pay anything. So yeah. it's really, really, really cool.
1: And, and the best part about living here in New York city is if I'm tapping in public on a street corner, I'm the sixth weirdest thing in the street corner and no one even notices. Me. Yeah.
0: That's funny. That's funny. Um, I do have a question though. So what has your work been like in the subconscious mind to discover this? Um, cause we, we cater this podcast to the subconscious yeah. mind and it's very fascinating. So what, what do you have to say, I guess, about that?
1: Uh, and, uh, ask the question another way. I'm not sure I understand exactly what you're asking.
0: I apologize. That was a little bit of a sloppy question. Um, what has your work been like in the subconscious mind leading up to this discovery of the tapping? So like, were you able to depict, Oh, my body's tensing up. This is a trigger because I'm actually feeling this way. Oh yeah, no, I, yeah, it was, I mean,
1: I, I was, aw- I, yeah, I was aware of a mind body experience before this, my, an actual, my initial introduction to all of this as a, because I was a performer is, um, I, I, I got certified in hypnosis for stage hypnosis. And all of the guys that I had talked to who were professionals said, go get a clinical certification because like you could like, if, if we stayed on the line for an extra 30 minutes I could teach you guys how to hypnotize someone like putting someone in a trance is not a difficult thing to do but when you have someone in trance you're you're now crawling around the subconscious mind it can be dangerous and so oftentimes in a stage hypnosis show, you just like I want you to pretend you're five years old well if you have someone on stage who doesn't pretend they're five but they regress back to when they were five and really bad things happen to them when they were five you've just opened Pandora's box in a non-clinical setting on stage in front of a bunch of people. And so all of the guys that I was kind of learning hypnosis from said, go get a clinical certification, just in case something goes wrong, you know, doing stage hypnosis, maybe one out of 150 shows, something is going to happen, but you need to be prepared. So that was actually my introduction into the subconscious mind. Um, you know, one of the things that we we're talking about, and I'm not sure if we talked about it on mic or not, but I have a computer science degree. And so the way that I think about the work that I do now, is I think about debugging code, and the subconscious mind is just code that we are debugging. That there's this little program that's running that's saying, salespeople are sleazy, salespeople are sleazy, salespeople are sleazy. It's kind of like having a subroutine that does addition, and I put one and one in, and it gives back three. Well, that's an error. And so what we need to do is we need to go in and we need to transform the code. And so for me, even though I didn't realize it, I was already thinking about the way the subconscious mind works before I was ever introduced to it with laying that over the top. Then once I was starting to do hypnosis and discovering what we were doing, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just debugging the subconscious mind. And so for me, I did not enter into any of this trying to understand myself. I entered into all of this, like most people do trying to solve a problem. You know, one of the things I joke about a lot is I could tell my clients to stand on their left foot, cross their eyes and hum, God save the queen because they would do it because they just want to be better. And so for those of us who are deep inside of transformation, and thinking about these things, we think about modalities. We think about the subconscious mind. We think about how the brain works. And most of the people we interact with just want to feel better, And so I found my way to these tools, not because I was trying to learn about myself. I found my way to hypnosis because I was trying to be able to solve a problem of performing. I found my way to tapping because I was trying to get over my social anxiety because I was hurting my friends because I was lying to them. And so there was no sense of, I was trying to understand the machine. It was, I was trying to solve a problem. Then as I was learning about the problem, then as I was learning about the solution, to the problem I went, Oh, look at this thing called the subconscious mind. Look at this thing that is going on and why it acts the way that it does. Then I became really, really interested in that. So it was the thing I stumbled into, not the thing that I was looking for because I wasn't looking for something other than relief. And so often, and I think this is just useful for all of us who are like, like in the beginning of my career, the number of people I talked out of tapping because I was so excited about the tool set, I just ran them over and they were just kind of like slowly backing away like don't make eye contact, leave the crazy man alone. Where when I start with, hey, you know that sensation where you can't think when you're about to take a test, try this thing. And then after that, then they're interested in the subconscious mind and what's going on. So that was my path. I was trying to solve a problem. I wasn't trying to learn about myself. I just did that by accident along the way.
0: Really cool. I mean, that's kind of the same philosophy that we all have had. Um, We, we kind of just began learning about the subconscious mind with our own experiences and then how we overcame those experiences. So I think that's really, really cool that, you know, that was kind of how it was for you. And I mean, it's typical for the everyday person in life to, to kind of just not really know about the, I mean, The subconscious mind and even tapping or any kind of alternatives that can serve that so i think it's really really awesome that you were able to discover that through your own experiences and help other people Uh, i do have another question so so with meditation and you know tapping so i know obviously for meditation that you have to be very still but my question to you is can you use tapping to kind of boost that meditation and get to like a peak faster if that makes sense
1: so it is possible. Like I mean, again, it depends on the person. Because again, what's going on is it's biochemical stuff. You now, it, it depends on the type of meditator that you are. You know, for me, you know, I'm very, very kinesthetic. I'm ADHD. Sitting still is not something that works for me. But the meditative practices that have worked for me are things like zazen, walking meditation. So for me, doing a physical action repetitively over and over again. People talk about a runner's high. A runner's high is the exact same thing that you're getting from meditation and what's going on. And so it really isn't gonna depend on what's going on. Some people doing something as simple as tapping on their collarbone while trying to be in a meditative state is super, super distracting for them because they really need to be super, super still. Well, for me, doing something physically repetitive actually makes it easier for me to get into that theta state of brainwave because that's where we land when we're doing Doing that sort of thing and so it depends on the person and what's going on like one of the things that like is really important to recognize is almost everything we do is impacted by the context in which we are doing it in and part of the con so part of the context is where I am you know like if I am sitting in the middle of a park during a music festival I'm less likely to be able to maybe do quiet meditation the context impacts what is going on. But part of the context is also who I am. Also is what I am feeling. Am I healthy? Am I sick? Am I tired? Am I high? Am I, you know, what are the things that are going on inside of my body that's doing it? But also everything before me and who I am impacts that as well. And so that's the reason why I said the most important question is, how is it working for you? You know, as, as a teacher, I'm consistently talking about the fact, I am now going to describe descriptively what I do, not prescriptively what you need to do. And I'm going to say, descriptively, this is how I do it. Descriptively, these are why I follow these steps. Descriptively, this is what I'm thinking and why I structure it this way. Now let's have a conversation about you and how do you engage with this particular thing. You know that. So each month in my class, I'd mentioned one of the things I do is like I teach a tool, and they go off in they small groups and they play with it, and they come back, and they're like, well, what about this and this and this? And I'm like, yes, we're adding that to the list because I never would have thought of that, but your disposition that works really, really well for in that particular way. And so, so yes, it is possible. Yes, it is likely. And it depends on the person because some people that's going to be, you know, like tapping is really amazing for clearing substance sensitivities. And oftentimes, folks who have been diagnosed on the autism spectrum have substance sensitivities, but physical touch on their body is something that overstimulates them so much we can't do that. And so, even though it's a useful tool, because of the person and the way that they deal with physical touch, it's not a useful tool. And so, we're like, you know we always need to be really careful about looking at things as one size fits all and recognizing who is in front of us when we're sharing something and their personality and their disposition
0: i like that it's like um it'd be a perfect team building exercise i feel so say because miles um miles you're are you still doing the camp right now
1: hmm?
0: are you still doing the camp
1: Uh, yeah, well, I got
0: one more day on Tuesday and that's it. So Miles was doing a camp and he was training, um, college athletes. And I feel like this is something that would be really, really interesting to, to facilitate around a group of athletes say after a loss where everybody's it's it's
1: great after a loss. It's great before a game. Um, who was it? I think it was in 2001, 2002, maybe it was 11, 12. Um, there were back-to-back NCAA baseball champions, men baseball division one champions, who were active tappers. Mm-hmm. So there was actually, and so you'll see it more and more. Um, there are, just because of like who I know my friends' clients are, there are a number of professional athletes who you know who regularly use tapping as part of their preparation and taking care of stuff after events.
0: Really, really cool.
1: Um, and i i've again, I have another friend who trains traders and poker players, the exact same thing, so folks that do day training and folks for poker players again, mindset being present, not having a bad beat or a loss stick with you and that sort of stuff one hundred percent it's super useful in that arena as well
0: something really cool about the people who do that there there's something unique about their subconscious because it's it's almost like a infinite filter but of a different kind of filter, so I picture the subconscious mind as a filtration device, kind of like it consumes everything that the conscious is telling it. So Mm -hmm. you are in a situation with high stress, if you are in a situation dealing with um, relived trauma, your subconscious filter is going to be buffering a lot and you need something to help dilute everything in that to help it flow this is something that i really feel can help things flow and especially in people like that athletes if this is working for somebody like that dealing you being present and dealing with a high stressful situation like um like a champion um baseball player like a champion mm-hmm. collegiate basketball player having uh, a big game and they're able to just and know, because the stage is big. Either they're in college or a division one athlete. That's a much bigger game than somebody who's in like sixth grade playing a soccer tournament. But still, that can work for somebody then. And then they build the habits so when they get to that point or they get to a professional level, it's something that helps regulate them a lot more. So it's very healthy. I mean, picture it. If somebody's going to be eating healthy as a child, they're doing it to set their future up. Kind of like taking care of your mental health and your subconscious flow, if you want to dilute all the traumas because everybody's been through trauma, whether I mean, it's something like uh, a specific word that triggers them, um, anything, it, it's floating around in your subconscious, and then it comes conscious, and you remember how it made you feel when you first heard it, or first saw it or first experienced it, this is kind of a good way to just digress everything and be present with your own flow of thoughts.
1: And and again, it goes goes back to that phrase that I used a little earlier, the goal for me is proportionate and well informed. Mm. You know, so it's, it's like I said, it's proportionate and well informed that I'm afraid of tigers. But if I never leave my apartment, because one's eight miles away, like it's, it's proportionate and well informed to recognize a championship game is really, really significant but we only want it to be to the level that it's actually there where it's not a matter of life and death. Because if I'm stepping into the game and turning it into a life and death matter, that's what my subconscious mind does, then physiologically I'm gonna be present in a different way. Um, one of my favorite things to think about is, so, so you know, there, there's, there's actually three words that we use for stress. There's stress, there's distress, and then there's eustress. And eustress is that feeling that you have Christmas Eve, the feeling you have when you're like really excited about a big game, the feeling you have where you're about to give a presentation and you know you are prepared for it and you just know it's gonna be awesome. And so again, there's that, that, it's not that I'm just like so blasé, I'm not present to the moment, but I move from the place of distress to the place of eustress, where I'm on the balls of my feet and I'm ready to go. And so it's about making sure again, that we're just calibrating to the proportionate, well-informed emotion. It's not to be emotionless because emotions are so useful. Emotions are the richness of life, but we wanna make sure we have the right one for the circumstance that we're in.
0: Definitely. I mean, emotions are kind of scattered anyways. Sometimes people have a really hard time picking the right emotion, depending on what kind of they see with their own conscious eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. really cool. Um, do you guys have any other questions, Brett Miles? Or... I'm good. I mean, you answered a lot of questions. Um, you were able to help educate a lot, a lot of people that are going to be watching this. So thank you so much, and thank you even more for your time.
1: Yeah. And if people just want like a quick, actual beat by beat instruction, there's a little 12 minute video at learn to tap.com. Um, walk you through all the points, show you how to do it, show you how to start your day with it. It's, it's again, super, super simple. Assuming that you're not like poking out your own eye, it's really hard for it to go wrong.
0: Perfect. All right. We'll, we'll attach that link <laughs> Thank you so much. James.
1: Really no, appreciate our... it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll attach the link in all of our bios and everything like that. So, Mm-hmm. thank you so much again for being on definitely here. gonna start tapping for sure <laughs> me too me as well